The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, Tim continues his look at the story of Elijah and Jezebel. These two contrasting figures show us the value of fighting against temptation with courage and honor. Christianity has a call to power that is counterintuitive to this world. Those who humble themselves are exalted, and those who exalt themselves are humbled. Scripture calls for us to resist, overcome, and remain humble. We join Tim in 2 Kings with the story of Elijah. Now, interestingly enough, God does say to Elijah, look, I'm going to give you a replacement, Elisha, and I'm going to ask you to anoint a different king. And then Elijah doesn't do much before he hands that over. So Elijah is asked to anoint Jehu as king, but that's not who's king next. The next king is after Ahab dies is Ahaziah. So this is in 2 King 1 verse 2. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. So he's going to go ask the Baal prophets, am I going to recover from this? And so then God tells Elijah, go and tell Ahaziah, hey, is there not a prophet in Israel? Why are you asking the God of Ekron? So Ahaziah says in verse 7, what kind of man was it that came up to meet you and told you these words? So they said, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. He said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. So then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. They went up to him, and there he was sitting on the top of the hill, and he spoke to them, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, I'm a man of God, then let the fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And then that happens again. And then the third band of 50, the guy comes and says, Please, please don't kill us. (laughs) And God says, Go ahead and go with him. So he goes with him, and he pronounces to Ahaziah what is going to transpire to him. That he's going to die and he's going to be dispossessed. And so that's what happens. And then Elijah goes up to heaven. Elisha takes his place. Jehu becomes king. Jehu is going to be the one at whose hand Jezebel perishes. So we see with Elijah that he had this tremendous victory. This amazing victory. And then just kind of blew it. But God says, look, okay, you've done awesome. I'm going to go ahead and let someone else in here. But before you go all the way, let's kind of rewind and replay and let's let the king threaten you and you win. It's really cool. He has a recovery. And then God lets him pass the baton. So that's really cool. So Jezebel's going to meet her in through Jehu. But before we get there, let's look at another episode. And it's the incident of Naboth, Naboth's vineyard. We see Naboth's vineyard episode in chapter 21. Chapter 21, it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite, this is while Ahab is still alive, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel. The valley of Jezreel is the plain, you know it as Armageddon, Har Megiddo, the valley of Megiddo, Jezreel, all the same thing. It's up in the north part of Israel. Next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab, Samaria, Israel, the same thing. So Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it's near next to my house. And for it, I will give you a vineyard better than that. Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its worth in money. 
And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And of course you know that when Israel was given the land and it was divvied up into parcels, God gave it to families for perpetual possession. It was a sacred thing for them. It wasn't just an economic thing. It was for them and their posterity forever. And Naboth understands that. And he said, look, this isn't just a piece of property that's an asset. This is my family heritage. I'm not going to give this up. So, verse 4, Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word Naboth the Jezreelite had spoke to him. For as he had said, I will not give inheritance of, of your, my father's. And he laid down in his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. So here you got Ahab, the king, who's in charge of everything, but he can't have this one thing. And so he goes into a sullen state of despair. I don't know. Have, have you ever done that where you lose perspective? The song, Today is Beautiful, you might have heard, is a song about perspective. It's written about one of our grandsons who was in Disney World. He was, let's say, four years old, three or four years old. And his sister, who's a year and a half older, was pushing the stroller, and he, she wouldn't let him push the stroller, so he totally melted down. In Disney World, the happiest place on earth. So you've got all these things around that are there to make you happy. But I want the stroller, and I want to push the stroller. Well, that's kind of what we do, isn't it? So now what Jezebel should have done is gone to Ahab and say, look, there's two circles. You're in the victim circle. You're letting circumstances dictate your happiness. You get out of the victim circle and come over here to the circle of choice and live your values and, and make the best of circumstances. Well, Jezebel's point is not to make Ahab a constructive person. Her point is to make him dependent on her. So what she does is she says, hey, look, why are you not eating? He said, "Eh, you know, Naboth won't give me his vineyard. No problem. So she sets up this scheme where two worthless men go to a banquet, accuse Naboth of heresy, and go out and stone him. And then she comes back in and says, hey, you can have your vineyard now. He's dead. Well, again, what Jezebel is doing here is using intrigue and violence in order to win favor. So she knows how to use fear. She knows how to use violence. She knows how to set up structures that create patronage systems for herself where she has power and money rolling in. And she knows how to curry favor with those in power. Nice nice lady, huh? So now let's look at her demise in 2 Kings chapter 9. So in 2 Kings chapter 9, we see Jezebel's death. Now Jehu has dispatched Ahaziah and he goes to the city. Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. So you got the picture here is there's a window in the gate in the walled city. She's looking out the window and she's put on her full makeup and and dolled up her hair. So as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murder of your master? Now here's what she's saying. Zimri was a guy who had overthrown the king at an earlier time. And within seven days, Zimri had been overthrown himself. He didn't have the adequate support. So here's what I think Jezebel's doing. Jezebel is saying, you know, you don't have the kind of support you really need to make this stick. Who is she suggesting he needs with her face all dolled up and her hair all dolled up? Well, remember, she's a madam. She uses sexual perversion as a business. She's a manipulator. She knows how to curry favor with power. 
it seems fairly obvious to me that what she's saying is, you need to make an alliance with me. Maybe even you should take me as your wife, and then we'll do this together. Well, Jehu looks up at the window and says, who's on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him, and he said, throw her down. So some of the people closest to her, the eunuchs who would take care of the queen or the harem, were like, they probably did, were tired of working for somebody like this, wouldn't you be? And so they see a chance, and they stick their heads out, and he says, throw them down. So she go, they go, and they pitch her out the window, and she dies. Now, to fulfill the prophecy, dogs came and ate her, and there was no, hardly anything left her skull and her palms. And that fulfilled the prophecy, because God wanted to make very clear, when people abuse their authority, when they have positions of authority, and they abuse to manipulate and control other people, that's something that he really doesn't like. You can see that Jezebel's violent death is kind of mirrored back in our Revelation passage. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her in a great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know I'm he who searches the minds and hearts. The wages of sin is death. The consequences of sin is death. And sexual immorality is a sin that has a particularly adverse effect on us. We can look at 1 Corinthians six eighteen. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Clearly, we can commit sexual immorality and be God's servants. But if we do, there's a particularly adverse consequence to us, more than other sins. And perhaps it's because we are feeding our appetites at the expense of others. So we're training our heart to be doing exactly the opposite of what God put us here to do, to learn to serve. And we're becoming a slave to our appetites and an obstacle to other people. And what God wants us to do is exactly the opposite. He wants us to be a pathway for other people and to master our appetites and serve Him. Verse 23, I will give to each one of you according to your works. Actions have consequences. And we're going to have consequences for our actions. He wants us to read, hear, and do. And what He wants us to do is to hold on to that we know that's true. And He wants us to resist corrupt authorities. Now to you and the rest in the Thyatira has not known this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan. All these things Jezebel's doing, manipulation, using people's passions to enslave them, currying favor with authorities for your self-benefit, these are all Satan's tools. And these are the kinds of things Satan wants us to follow. But he says, don't have anything to do that. Just hold fast with what you have until I come. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nation. See, becoming born as one of God's children is something that just happens at a point in time. It never, it never goes away. Being an overcomer, a victor, means you've got to run all the way through the tape. You've you got to run the race all the way to the end. And if you do, I'll give him power over nations. Now, what was Jezebel constantly seeking? She was constantly seeking power, prestige, Wealth, fame, access to authority. What did she get? Eaten by dogs. 
Well, what God is saying is that's the world's way. If you go for worldly power, you're going you're gonna to end up eating not dogs. But if you will serve, if you will lay that aside, have nothing to do with it and serve others, including resisting perverse authority, then the reward I'm going to give you is power over the nations. And here he quotes Psalm 2 verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And this is clearly a messianic psalm if you look up a little earlier you say, I will declare the decree, verse 7, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And that's what's quoted here. And Jesus says, he, Jesus quotes this psalm and then states at the end, as I have also received from my father. So Jesus says, I've received power over the nations from my Father. If you will hold on to the end, I will give this power to you as well. So everything Jezebel wants for wrong reasons, I will give to you because you have the right reasons. And finally, in verse 8, I will give him the morning star. Now, the morning star is an interesting phrase. Isaiah 4.12 says this, Isaiah 4.12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. So, it's very possible that the very first morning star was Lucifer. And how was it that he fell? He who is cut down to the ground, who's weakened the nations. So he says, I'm going to be strong over the nations. He actually weakens the nations. For you've said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit... On the mount of congregation, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Sounds just like Jezebel, doesn't it? But instead, what Jesus says is, of course, Jesus is the morning, true morning star. And in Second Peter 1.19, it says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Proverbs calls the morning star wisdom. So it seems like the picture we have here is to be in great favor with God, to be in ascendancy over creation, and to have a position of amazing authority. Of course, Jesus has all that, and he wants to share it with us, to be a power over the nations, to be the first over nations. But that just goes to overcomers. And the interesting thing that to be the overcomer, resisting bad authority qualifies us to be a good authority you lay your life down so that you may take it up you give away power that you may be the most powerful arguably the most powerful man that's ever lived is George Washington because he fathered the most powerful nation that's ever been and what was it that George Washington did that was so miraculous he gave power he gave it twice at least twice he surrendered his sword to the Continental Congress at a time where it did not look like a very good choice. He viewed it as the only way to perpetuate self-governance in America. And then later, after he'd been president for two terms, he stepped down and created a precedent of peaceful transitions of power. King George commented something to the effect that if he actually did what he said he was going to do, he'd be one of the greatest men ever lived. And he was. And that's a picture of giving power that we may take it up. And that's what God promises here. He who has an ear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we have a great challenge today. Do we want to accept what Jezebel brings into the church? What Jezebel has in secular culture? What Jezebel offers us in government? Or will we resist? Will we resist those ideas when they come into our church? Will we resist those ideas when they come into our family? Will we resist those ideas when they come into our government? For we are warriors. And we are to war spiritually. But spiritual warfare isn't just prayer. It's also engagement. Never against people. But we do engage people. But we're engaging the ideas behind those people. The forces behind those people. What God wants us to do is stand Stand for what's true. Stand for what's right. What God wants us to do is to be his witness. And what he promises us, if we will do that to the end, he will give us amazing rewards. Behold, I'm coming and my reward is in my hand. God, thank you for your grace that you have overcome. Please help us follow in your footsteps that we may overcome as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.